Our scripture today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 1 through 10. And if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to join us in reading along. If you don't yet have a Bible and would like to have one, we would love to provide one to you. And so you can find those on the tables out in the vestibule after the service. Again, we're reading in Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 1 through 10. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach and let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil. Saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Dana. Uh, Well, good morning, uh, Christ community. Good to see you all. My name is Reed, and if I haven't met you, hi. It's nice to meet you. Uh, If if you are a guest, if you're new here, we're so glad you're here. Uh, and as Dana mentioned, we'd love the chance to get to know you and greet you. And so uh, it's a joy to have you with us uh, this Advent season. Uh, before we jump into Isaiah 41, I do want to pray for our time together. So let's, let's ask the Lord's blessing on the teaching of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, hallowed be your name in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, may we see you for who you are. Lord, may, may your spirit open our eyes to see the truth of your beauty, of your power and might in the midst of a world that is broken, that creates fear, that creates anxiety and apprehension. Lord, may we see you as the God that you are, the God who is with us. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in the name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Uh, so, so for those, some of you know this about me, but I am a, I'm an, an, an O-Town original, uh, which means I grew up here in Olathe. I'm born and raised here. Uh, and so that means I have gone to way more Old Settlers parades than I care to admit. Uh, it means that I cruise the Fay in high school. Uh, and it also means I've eaten at mom's kitchen, which is disgusting, but you have to do it if you're from Olathe. Uh, but it was true. Like, this is my hometown. And it's been rather interesting uh, actually moving back uh, to this town with my family. We moved back here the last year or so. And it's been interesting, like bumping into people I went to high school with, you know, like old classmates, old teachers, old probation officers. It's very strange. (laughs) Just kidding. I haven't bumped into him yet. Um, No, but but seriously, it's been really interesting. And even here at church, reconnecting with people who know me, uh, who knew me in high school. And so like some of you like 
have some legitimate dirt on me, and so your silence is very appreciated, so I appreciate that. But, but there is, there's something really interesting moving back to your hometown and walking the, the streets, driving the neighborhoods that you grew up in. And I am just kind of curious, actually, who, who here like, is from Olathe, grew up in Olathe and is still here? We have like a couple, okay, okay, this is interesting. All right, how many are just from the Kansas City area? I'm just curious, like you're from here, okay. And then how many have, you're not from Kansas City, you're transplanted from another city or country? Okay, whoa, oh my goodness, that's so fascinating. Well, it's just, I was just so curious about this, but I mean, re- regardless of where you're from, I mean, all of us would now call Olathe, or at least this general area, home. And, and even if it doesn't feel like home, functionally, this is the place that we now call home. Whether it's Olathe or Gardner or DeSoto or Lenox or whatever, this is our home. And, and, and we've been journeying through the book of Isaiah uh, this Advent season uh, in our series, Coming Home. And, and as we've been doing so, it, it's kind of gotten me thinking about what the word home means. And, and, and for me, it's really interesting, even though I'm from Olathe, I lived in 10 different houses by the time I graduated high school, all in the city of Olathe. And there are a lot, number of reasons for that. P- part of it was, some of you know my story, I grew up in a broken home and uh, we were rather poor. And so the, transient tend, or the poor tend to be more transient in nature. And so we lived all around Olathe. And, and it was very interesting. And so I didn't really have a great consistent home life to be able to kind of know what home meant. We never lived anywhere long enough to have that kind of stability. And so as I've been thinking about what the word home means, it's, it's kind of been hard for me to kind of define it. I've been struggling with that. And, and in preparation for this sermon in particular, I, was, I read a survey that actually uh, Habitat for Humanity conducted uh, as they asked uh, some of the Habitat homeowners, uh, what does home mean? And I was very fascinated by some of the responses. One family said that, that once we had a stable home, we could think beyond where we were going to live from week to week. And we could begin to look ahead to where we wanted to go. Uh, Another resident said that home is a safe haven and a comfort zone. Another said a home means a stable foundation. And this last one just said only three words, safety, stability, and security. And as I read these responses, I mean, I, I, I found myself kind of like, I was like, what are these emotions that I'm feeling? And it was very interesting. I resonated with these words, that if a home is anything, it must be a place of safety, of security, of stability, or to put it in other words, another way, that, that a home should be a place without fear. That if a home is anything, it must be, or rather it should be, a place without fear. And, and that's what I want us to look at this morning as we turn to Isaiah chapter 41. I believe this great prophet, uh, Isaiah, who bears the name of this book, is laying out for us explicitly why home, which is the place with God, a right relationship with God, why a home is a place without fear. And there are a few reasons why that Isaiah shows us, but the first one I want us to look at in the opening verses of chapter 41, the reason why home with God is a place without fear is because history is his story. I know that's totally cheesy, it's totally cheesy, but, but it's true that, that there is an understanding of God as not just being the creator of all things, but as the one who reigns and rules over all things, over all places, over all people, and over all time. And, and God shows us this through the words of Isaiah in the opening verses of chapter, one, of chapter 41. We read these words, and this is God speaking through Isaiah, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach and then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. 
Now, the language that Isaiah is using, uh, that God is saying rather through Isaiah here, it's litigious language. It's courtroom language. Uh, that's why you see that word of judgment, but, but it's not the kind of judgment we might think. It's not punitive judgment. It's not condemnation, but rather the language is that of, of inviting people into a courtroom to plead their cases and to hear a final ruling. And actually, I think the NIV translates verse 1 a little bit better. At the end of verse 1, the NIV says, let us meet together at a place of judgment. So it's not about hearing this condemnation from God, but rather it is coming together to plead our cases, to present our cases before God. But what's interesting is that God continues to show himself not just as the judge, but as Isaiah shows in verse 2, God is also one of the fellow litigants in the courtroom presenting his own arguments for the case at hand. And the case at hand, what is being discussed in this kind of metaphorical courtroom is really the question of who really rules the world? Who is really in charge? Who is in control? Who is conducting the affairs of the world? Who is it that is over all time, over all people, and over all places? And this is a serious question. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not, this is a, quest- a question that we should all ask. Because when, I mean, we live in a world of economic instability. We live in a world of political polarity. We live in a world where moral objectives have kind of been eroded, where there are tensions rising between nations. How do we have any kind of confidence that the world is moving in a good direction? Is there hope to be found in this place? And Isaiah tells us, God tells us rather through Isaiah, who it is that is in control. In verse 4, we read, God tells us as he's declaring his ruling, he says, who has performed, he's kind of asking kind of rhetorically here, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. And so the question is, I mean, who, who has this kind of resume? Who is it that has such an eternal and infinite nature that they can claim to be in the beginning and also with the last simultaneously? Who has the power to speak generations into existence from the beginning? Who is it that is both transcendent and beyond us and at the same time is imminent and near to us? And what God is declaring through the prophet Isaiah is that it is him that he is the one in control of all things, that he reigns and rules over all people, places, and times, that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one guiding and orchestrating and working through history to accomplish his good purposes, that he is not just the creator who got things started and moved away, but that he is intimately involved in his creation and will not allow things to fall apart. Even though it seems from our perspective things are falling into chaos, There is a God who reigns and rules over all things. There's a game that I play with my girls sometime when we're driving home from like the grocery store or piano lessons. We'll be driving and I'll pull into a random neighborhood and I'll tell them to close their eyes and bury their head and I just kind of start making random turns and then I park and then I tell them to open their eyes and then tell them to get us home. They, they have to direct me now, like, okay, should we go straight, do we go left, do we go right? And, it, and it's kind of fun, but like, like I'll let it go on for a while, you know, and, like, and they kind of get a little bit panicked, like, are we actually going to make it home? And obviously, at the end of the day, I will get us home. It's a fun game to kind of learn, you know, bearings and stuff like that. But while, while it appears that they're lost, 
and that they're not going to find their way home, I'm, I'm ultimately in control of the situation. And while it may feel chaotic, while it may feel like we don't see the whole picture, God is still in control of all things. And, and Isaiah shows us one of the unique ways in which God is over all history. He shows us through this prophecy of the Persian emperor Cyrus in verse 2. Now in verse 2, even though we don't see the name Cyrus, but we see in verse 2, uh, Isaiah referring to the one that says, Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? Now, when you read Isaiah 41 through chapter 45 in context, especially chapter 44, which I encourage you to look at, what we see, what Isaiah is referring to here is actually Cyrus, the Persian emperor, who would come in and destroy Babylon and would actually, that would result in Israel returning to Jerusalem back home after exile. But what's interesting is that Isaiah is writing these words 200 years before Cyrus had destroyed Babylon. It is a prophecy of what would happen. God is declaring through Isaiah that I will use even pagan kings who don't recognize me to accomplish my purposes. That there is no nation or government or ruler who is so great that I cannot be over and sovereign over in their lives. When we see God for who he is, the one who governs all governments, the one who is the king of all kings, the one who is the father of all nations, well, we see why a home with God is a place without fear. Although things may feel like they are chaotic and falling apart, God is the one who is conducting history, for history is indeed his story. But, but, but Isaiah goes from this kind of broad picture of God as being the one overall history to a little bit more specific and intimate picture to show us why a home with God is a place without fear. Yes, history is his story. God is the God of history. But we also see that we have no fear in a home with God because we are his people. We are his people. In verse 8, we see Isaiah shifting the focus from his reign and rule over all peoples because the, the, there's the reference to the word coastlands, which really is just a way to describe the ends of the earth. And so God goes from seeing, summoning all people from the coastlands, from the ends of the earth, to his specific focus and his care and his provision for his people, Israel. And while this is a direct word to Israel, historically, it's a truth that I believe applies to all of God's people who trust in him and his promises, ultimately, that are fulfilled in Jesus. And so God goes, goes very specific as he shows his care for his people, and look with me at verse 10. As he moves from being the God over all history to the God of his people, God gives us these comforting words, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So what is the antidote to fear? How, how do we remedy fear in our lives? Well, I believe what Isaiah is telling us is that it's knowing that God is, yes, the God of all history, but more specifically and more intimately, it is knowing God that by faith in him and his promises, we are his people, and that he will not abandon us, and that he upholds us, and that he holds us with his righteous right hand. When we know this truth of this God who is for us and with us, we have a confidence and a courage and a comfort that we couldn't find apart from him. 
It's not just found in the fact that God is with us, that's true, but what, what Isaiah says is that God's presence is an empowering presence. It's a presence that upholds us. And that word uphold, it's very unique. It's, it's not just like a propping up and kind of leaving someone there so that they can kind of be in a position of stability. It is, it is an act, it's ongoing. It is a constant holding up, never letting go, an ongoing act of keeping God's people in place. And when we're mindful of this, when we are aware that God is not just over all things, but that he is with us and he upholds us, it changes the way in which we face fearful situations. It changes the way we face attacks, verbally, physically, emotionally. We see that God is with us. I, I remember when I first attempted uh, indoor rock climbing. Uh, it, was, it was quite an embarrassing situation because I, I, I'm a little bit of afraid of heights. Uh, like I'm, I'm okay, like this is okay, like this height's fine. But, but I remember climbing and just being so terrified. I mean, I just like, I climbed so gingerly and, and like I don't have a ton of upper body strength to begin with, but, but the moment I finally could let go of the wall and realize that I was actually gonna be okay, that I wouldn't fall to my death, I was able to kind of climb with a little bit more confidence with a little bit more adventure, with a little bit more risk, because I knew the equipment that, I, that was holding me. I could trust the integrity of the carabiners and the ropes and the guy belaying me down below. I was able to now climb with a sense of, of, of excitement and adventure that I couldn't before. The thing that changed was that I now was aware of that which upheld me, that which kept me secure. And now it didn't make me lazy, it made me actually more adventurous in my climbing. In the same way, when we are aware of God's presence, when we know that the God of history is with us and for us, it doesn't take away our fear, it doesn't take away fearful situations rather, but what it does is it eliminates and diminishes what, what Isaiah refers to as this, this state of being in dismay. And that word dismay, it's a very unique word in Hebrew. The Hebrew word is sha'ah. And it's a very strange word, what it literally means. When Isaiah says, fear not, you will not be dismayed when I am with you. The word dismayed, it literally means to dart one's eyes in all directions. It's this idea of like not knowing what's next or what to do next. It's not knowing what the best thing is moving forward. I think the word dismayed can be translated with our word anxiety. I think this is precisely what Isaiah is referring to. When we are aware of God's presence, it diminishes this anxiety that causes us to be darting our eyes in every direction. What's next? I don't know. I, I, I can't. If I go this way, it'll result in this. But if I don't do this, it'll mean this. Like, we all feel this in various ways. And anxiety is one of these things. It, it is such a struggle in our day. It is a crippling condition that more and more people face and are plagued by. I know that many of us struggle with anxiety to extreme degrees. And let me just say as a side note to that, if that is you, if you struggle with anxiety, like I do hope that you have people in your life that you can trust and share that with. I hope you know that the we as your church, we want to care for you and support you. We want to provide the help that you need. But so please know that this is something we want to journey alongside you with. But, but here's what I, I think Isaiah is saying to us. These old ancient words, I think, are speaking to this very contemporary need in our culture today. And it gets me thinking, I, ju I just wonder to what degree our anxieties that we face, to what degree are they rooted in fear? To what degree are they rooted in, in this constant state of, of just feeling like I don't know what's next? 
I wonder, is there, is there a correlation between our anxiety and our fear? And I wonder how much our fear is rooted in the fact that we feel as though no one is really in control of our lives and of our world, whether it's God or whether it's us. I'm so curious about this. In, in fact, recently, our, our staff, the Olathe Campus staff, we, we uh, reviewed and discussed a, a rather detailed demographic study of our parish, the, a two-and-a-half-mile radius of the Olathe Campus. And it was fascinating. So many interesting things. As we were trying to love our community well, as we seek to not just be a church for more people, but for all peoples in this community, we learned a, a, a quite a great deal. But one of the things that stood out was that within this two-and-a-half-mile radius of our church, 83% of the inhabitants here believe in some kind of God, which was very interesting. I, I was surprised by that. But only 59% believe that this God is involved or active in the world and in our lives today, which was actually 4% lower than the national average, which what that means is that we have a surprisingly high number of what I would call watch worshipers, or watchmaker worshipers, rather, that we believe in a God who kind of got things started, kind of wound the clock, but then just kind of let it go to tick on until infinity. And I'm so curious about this, I can't help but wonder if there is a correlation between this, this kind of increasing percentage of people that believe in a God but don't believe in a God who is actively involved in our world, and the increasing numbers of, of those of us who, who struggle with anxiety, of constant fear. I believe that what Isaiah is telling us is that what we need, yes, I, 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 by no means diminishing uh, the mental illness of anxiety and the, the, the challenges that, that that brings, but is it possible that what we need is to believe in a God who is bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our fears, bigger than the things that plague us. And I think Isaiah speaks directly to this current felt need in verses 11 through 13. I'm sorry, 12 through 13. Isaiah says, those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Now notice that God doesn't say, what you're going through isn't a big deal. Suck it up, quit complaining, and just believe in me. He doesn't diminish it, but rather what he says that when you understand how great I am, how my, my provision for you is unfailing, how I uphold you, how I am with you and I will never abandon you, it doesn't take away our challenges, but it allows us to face the, the physical attacks, the emotional attacks, the verbal attacks with a confidence and courage that we couldn't find elsewhere. And so whether we find ourselves in the proverbial or the literal dirt after certain attacks in our lives, we can still face it without fear because God always upholds his people. And I think that is the greatest remedy to our fear and to our anxiety is to know that there is a wise and loving God, a just God who is over all things, who desires our good, who is not just great and powerful, but is infinite in his love, that he desires what's best for us, that he's infinite in power, that he's capable of accomplishing what's best for us, and he's infinite in wisdom, that he knows what's best for us. This God upholds us and holds our hand through the fire and through the flood, and this is what empowers us to be the people who God has called us to be. But Isaiah gives us one more reason why a home with God is a place without fear. Yes, God is the God of all history. Yes, God is the God of his people who upholds his people in a unique way. 
But Isaiah builds to show us that the reason why a home with God is a place without fear is because a new home is his plan. A new home is his plan. If you, if you look at verses 17 through 20, we see Isaiah is doing something very unique in how he's describing his, God's provision for his people. And, and, and there's something very profound that we may skip from just a kind of a cursory reading of the text. But look with me at verse 17. As, Isaiah, as God says through Isaiah, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Now, these words, poor and needy, uh, we may read those and think uh, monetary poor, you know, people that, who, whose poverty is measured by a lack of financial resources and assets. And, and that's not actually what this word means. The poor and needy, what it literally means is just the downtrodden, people who have been beat down by the burdens of life. And that, like, by sh- I don't need to ask for a show of hands, that describes all of us in some way, shape, or form, or at some time in our lives. And if it doesn't, it's coming, okay? So Merry Christmas. But, but truly, we're, we all experience the burdens of life in various ways, and God is speaking to all of us. And I actually, I really love how Eugene Peterson translates uh, this verse in the message. He says that the poor are desperate for water, their tongues parched and no water to be found, but I'm there to be found. I'm there for them. And I, God of Israel, will not leave them thirsty. So when safety and security and satisfaction are nowhere to be found through our own initiatives, through our own power and abilities, God says that he is there to be found and that these things can be found in him. And even though we find ourselves in the chaos and the wilderness and the desert of life looking for a home around us, God can be found in the midst of the wilderness and he makes a home for us. And that's what Isaiah builds for as we go into verses 18 and 19. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. He says, I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together. You see, the Bible uses the word wilderness often as a metaphor, and it's, it's literal as well, but when, when the word wilderness is used, it's used to describe this idea of being away from God, away from home, being distant from Him. And what's very interesting when we understand wilderness, and this is true, I mean, what, what is the wilderness? It is, it's not home. You know, as, as nice as it may be to visit the wilderness, no one wants to live in the wilderness, maybe except Nathan. Uh, but, but no, but truly, like we all, like even Nathan would say, as much as camping is great and wonderful, but like a camping trip is fine. A camping life is homelessness. That's what, that, there's a difference there. But the word wilderness here is describing this idea of, of not a home, of being absent from God. But notice what Isaiah says in how God provides for those in need. He provides water to satisfy and nourish, and he provides trees. Nathan would be so proud of me talking about trees in a sermon. But, but he, he provides trees in the midst of a wilderness, but not just any trees. In the middle of this desert, in the middle of this wilderness, God is bringing up trees, and they're not fruit-bearing trees. The acacia, the myrtle, the cypress, the, these trees, I mean, what purpose would these kinds of trees provide in a desert? They provide shade. They provide protection and shelter. And, th- and this is on purpose. 
Notice that, that God is springing up these trees in the middle of the desert. In the middle of this barren land, you see a tree coming up. It's not, I'm going to take you out of the wilderness and put you in a nice, lovely garden, but rather in the midst of the desert, I will provide a home for you. And when you step back and look at the whole story of the Bible, this is actually what God has been doing from the beginning, bringing order out of chaos, making homes in places that were not homes. When you go back to Genesis 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, that the world, the earth was formless and void. Some translations say it is wild and waste. And out of the wild wastefulness, out of the, the formlessness and void, God creates his good creation the first home for his people. But then because of sin and rebellion, we lost that home. There is sin and death and brokenness in this world, but God does not abandon his people. And he says, I will provide the promised land for you in the land of Canaan. And what, what God does is that he doesn't lead them to the promised land away from danger, but actually directly into danger because the promised land was inhabited by the enemies of Israel. And so God makes a home for his people in a very dangerous place. Even the story of Christmas is the story of, of God's son, Jesus, coming into this world to bring us back home into a right relationship with God, but he does so by, by bringing Jesus into a place that is so far from a home that he enters into our world in this, this germ-infested, filth-induced petting zoo, and from that we see the home promised to us in Jesus. And then as we look at the end of the book, in Revelation, what do we see? What is the picture? What is the goal? What is everything building towards? It is not God taking these disembodied souls to this ethereal realm in, in the sky where we play harps and robes and clouds and hope nobody's underneath us looking up. Like we, we, we see that the picture of heaven is not one of being taken away, but heaven being brought here. A home being made here out of the broken world that we have destroyed. In Revelation 21 and 22, we see this beautiful picture of heaven and earth being made one, and Isaiah beautifully points to it as well. In Isaiah 65, which we'll look at in a few weeks, but I want us to look, hear these words in Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah knows what he's doing here as he's laying out this picture of God's plan to make a home for us and describing where everything is building towards. In verse 17 of chapter 65, we see this picture of the new heavens and the new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Down in verse 19, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. In verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. This is the picture. This is where God is building everything towards. The reason why a home with God is a place without fear, yes, is because God is sovereign over all history. Yes, because by trusting in his promises that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we are his people. But we also see that a new home is his plan. This is what God is doing and is what he invites us into. If you notice, the picture of the new heavens and new earth is not a country club where we retire, but rather where we are able to continue to work and to contribute to the world, adding beauty to it and enjoying the goodness of our creator. 
God is inviting us to be a part of his great and glorious home renovation project, if you will, of restoring and renewing this broken world. And when we step back and see this picture and behold this God, well, it's not difficult to see that fear is not welcome in God's home. For he is the God of history who has come to make us his people, who will live with him forever in his renewed world. And this is what we celebrate at Advent. This is what we remember this time of year, the arrival of Jesus who entered into our broken world, a broken world that's broken because of us, because of our rebellion. And he entered in to make it new again through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection that brings new life. We celebrate the time when Jesus came to become our righteousness that we could not become. The one who came to to bear the penalty of sin that we deserve to bear but we could not pay in full. The one who came to defeat death and conquer the grave that awaits each and every one of us. The one who calls us to himself to turn from our sin, to trust in his gospel to walk in his ways and to join him in his work of redeeming and renewing all things broken by the fall. When we see this big picture, when we see this big God, we can see why fear is not welcome in God's home. And so will you trust this God who is over all history? Will you walk in his ways? Will you join him in the work of redeeming and renewing all things broken by sin? Will you join him in making this world a home again for all people through the power of Christ and his resurrection, a home that is without fear, a home that is truly with God forever? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I confess to you my my myopic view of you, that far too often, Lord, I, I look at the world and my life through a very limited perspective. Lord, I ask for your spirit to awaken within us an ability to to see you and to behold you as, as the God of all history, as the God who is not just powerful and beyond us, but the God who is intimately involved in our lives, who knows our fears and anxieties, and who has promised to hold us by the hand as you walk us through the challenges of life. Lord, may we see this truth And may we see that that what you promise and what you declare is validated through the person and work of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we thank you for the truth of Jesus that he came to be with us, to suffer with us and for us, and that the promise of resurrection is what leads us to live a life of hope without fear. So Lord, would you draw us to yourself, open our eyes to see you, and may we respond to you in praise for the goodness of your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What a good news it is that, that, yes, that God is with us in the fire and the flood, that he has not abandoned us, that he upholds us. And I hope, my hope and prayer is that we would leave this place together as the church gathered into being the church scattered, living in light of the God who is with us, who upholds us, who holds us by the right hand, and who assures us that our labor, the work that we do, is not in vain and is indeed a part of his good work in this world.
Well, as we, as we head out of this place, I want to I read our benediction from Isaiah 41. But, but just uh, one quick reminder, just again, Christmas Eve, we'd love to have you with us for one of our four services. I'd uh, love to encourage you to invite some friends, family members, uh, coworkers, and neighbors to join us as we celebrate uh, the birth of our King. Uh, so hear these words from Isaiah chapter 41 that we heard earlier this morning. Verse 10 is our benediction, our good word for the road. Brothers and sisters, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Go in peace in light of that truth. Have a great week.